Hi everyone, Spencer here, one of your hosts. Uh, it has been a weird few months. Um, we are living in the darkest timeline, um, and I felt uh, that I didn't want to post stuff. Um, so supermassivepop.com has been pretty quiet um, because this was not the time. Um, but I do feel now that potentially there is a sea change, um, and being uh, silent um, now seems like the wrong thing um, and more than anything else just not uh, not helping provide something uh, uplifting or positive is also not the right thing there was a there was a time where um, uh, listening was all I wanted to do and that's all I did so I'm still listening um, but we're still chatting and we were chatting a few months ago we have two episodes um, and this message will go out on both of them uh, that have been in uh, the, the quote-unquote in the can for a couple of weeks or excuse me a couple of months um, but those are going to come out um, and we're going to kind of call that the end of season one uh, and season two will be out shortly in just a couple of weeks um, uh, with a new uh, steady line of, of episodes between Scott and I. Um, but I just wanted to take a moment to say um, uh, thanks for bearing with us if you have been um, and uh, donate to um, donate to, to groups and charities and um, and places that uh, that help people if you can. Um, and if you can't, do some really good listening, maybe some good retweeting uh, and sharing uh, and learning um, and be be awesome and good to people and be kind. Man, be kind. That's what we really need more than anything else is kindness. Um, and I do feel that this podcast is a, a place of um, uh, coming from a place of love and positivity when it comes to the culture that we're consuming. And um, I hope that you enjoy these episodes. Uh, they were fun to record when we recorded them. Um, and um and I'm really excited that we had a filmmaker on to talk about his film um, in our season finale with Down and Yonder, which is on YouTube. Please go go um, watch that. It's really good. Um, and uh, and reach out to us on Twitter if you'd like to um, at uh, at uh, Supermassive Pop uh, for the website at Film Dispenser. And of course, you can find Scott on Twitter as well. Um, but just thank you for uh, for your patience again, and uh, and we'll be back to a more regular schedule uh, for the time being, uh, with probably a planned end to season two uh, with a little break, um, uh, so you'll know about it well in advance. Um, but uh, register to vote, donate some money, take care of your neighbors, um, all of your neighbors, because sometimes uh, the um, the best way to fight hate sometimes, not all times, but sometimes is uh, with love. So be kind to people. Uh, that is that is a really um, key thing for me right now. Um, and, and keep your ears open. Listen, because you're not always right. I'm not always right. And some ways, uh, sometimes the best way to figure that out is to, to listen. And so um, it's been a wild time for this country and for the world. But let's... Uh, Let's be better to each other and be kind. And uh, I hope you enjoy the podcast, which is not about any of this stuff, but I just wanted to explain um, a little bit about why we got quiet. It's uh, definitely on me. It was my choice, and Scott respected it, and I very much appreciate that uh, from him. But I'm very excited to be talking to him again. So y'all have a great uh, day on the day you're listening to this, and uh, and uh, hopefully all the days in between. Um, and um, yeah, much love. Be kind. Talk to you soon. 
Welcome back to Armchair Cinephiles, supermassivepop.com's streaming movie podcast. And we're all streaming together. We're still not talking about Contagion. I didn't mention that last week, um, but we're still not talking about Contagion. Um, Self-care is important, and we're not going down that path. I'm one of your hosts, Spencer Howard. And I'm Scott Phillips. Uh, and today we have a, a another special episode. Um, last week was a regular one, but the week before that we had a, our first guest, and now we have our second guest. So uh, I'd like to welcome Chris Flippo, uh, writer, director, extraordinaire of many short films that I adore, and a film that I adore that is the uh, the subject of our main section this week that's down in yonder. You've heard us talk a lot about it, and there's links in the show notes where you can watch it right now for free on YouTube. But Chris, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm stoked to be here. Thank you for having me. You feeling good in the quarantine? You doing okay? Yeah, I'm just kind of holding myself up. I'm watching a couple movies a day and, you know, going for socially isolated walks. And, yeah, just kind of passing the time as a, a movie buff would. Absolutely. <laughs> with, with, I love it. An obscene amount of movies. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what we do here usually uh, for new listeners and for Chris is we do sort of a, a – it's just a discussion. What have we been watching? What have we been interacting with in pop culture? Anything really goes. I think last week we talked about anything from uh, Lucinda Williams to uh, to the Weeknd's new album, and then on to some other films. And uh, and so it's just all kind of all over the place. Um, just kind of catching up with what's been going on. Full disclosure for the audience: Scott and I recorded last week's episode two days ago, so there's not a whole lot in between. But I did save something for this week, um, and so so we'll see what happens. And Chris, so that you can kind of get a feel for things we'll let you go last um but feel free if you if you've seen something whatever feel free to jump in at any point um scott it's only been 48 hours if you had anything any hot topics to talk about yeah i I mean i've got a couple of things one of them that uh, i saw before we recorded last time uh which is have you guys seen or heard of this indie film that just dropped recently called the assistant it's on my to watch list for sure Okay, I, I have heard about. It. I, I've not checked it out yet, but I've heard glowing things about it. So I'm yeah, I'm anxious to see it. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's an interesting movie. It um, oh, now I've blanked on her first name. Her last name is Garner, and as uh, the young lady who uh, plays Ruth on Ozark, uh, <laughs> and uh, she is the uh, the lead in the film. Uh, and it's interesting to see her in that role because you realize what a performance she's giving in Ozark when she can play a character so completely different uh, in in this film. But you can tell that it's out of kind of the the Me Too school of thinking, uh, and uh, and kind of based maybe loosely on on um, uh, Harvey Weinstein, and uh, it's the idea of she is a, an assistant working in a production company uh, for this kind of tyrannical boss who kind of harasses and verbally abuses people. Uh, but one interesting little conceits of the movie is you never see him. During the entirety of the film, you never see him. You just hear his voice at times. And so it's kind of like you're seeing her kind of sifting through the wreckage that he leaves behind uh, with the way that he conducts himself. And so the the movie's tight it's like 85 minutes and uh it takes place all in just one day so it's kind of like you know here is the tumultuous day in the life uh of this you know poor young lady who graduated from northwestern with a 3.8 gpa 
uh, and is spending her days getting coffee and donuts uh, for this guy who's just awful. And uh, and so anyway, I uh, I I enjoyed the film just because I thought the way that they approached it was interesting. There are a lot of ways that you could tell the story, and I thought that they chose a unique way to tell the story. The flip side to that is my wife watched it with me and literally diametrically the opposite. She was on that end of the spectrum where it's like, well, that's 85 minutes of my life. I won't get back. (laughs) And, and so, and so, you know, maybe it's some kind of a litmus test for what kind of, you know, film viewer, uh, you are, but, uh, but I thought that it was, was well done and interesting and just kind of, it just drops you into the middle of this environment. Nothing's really explained to you. It just, you know, picks up with her coming in. She's got a car service that drives her in, drops her off at this office. And then it's just the entire day that she's there until she heads home. And so uh, my wife thought it was kind of slow, that it really didn't have much of a point. And it doesn't really have kind of distinct narrative beats to it. It's more just like, you know, if a camera crew dropped in on one of your crazy days uh, at the office, but I thought it was interesting in how it drew the relationships and, and the office dynamic and what people face when they're in kind of these, uh, oppressive kind of situations where they can't walk away from the job, but they're being mistreated. And so, uh, it just hit VOD, uh, I think this past week, maybe two weeks ago. I, and, I heard the, the VOD numbers are really good for it like i think really? a lot of people uh yeah i think a lot of people are finding it like i think everyone's been kind of surprised uh just how well it's doing uh, well, good. Yeah, yeah i uh yeah just people have been finding it i i, I um yeah it's not the type of film that you expect to have just huge numbers but i think word of mouth and uh yeah people people are finding it so. well i think i, I think Go ahead, Spencer. I feel like my watching habits are somewhere these days in between sort of the everyday viewer and the the guy who wants to be watching two or three movies a day. And so what happened early on is that all the Netflix stuff that I've been meaning to get to that was free and available and HBO shows and things like that, I just started knocking out really quick into quarantine. And now I'm feeling that like thirst for something different. Um, and so I would imagine that if I'm there, that, that other folks who are just kind of like the average moviegoer who might go once a week but isn't very invested in what they see, they just want to go see something, I would imagine they're hitting a similar point. Because one thing I've learned is we're, we're not all that unique in terms of these kind of habits. And so I feel like if I'm there, a lot of people must be at that point where they're like, I just need something different. And this does sound like it qualifies as both you know new and different, but also topical. Um, and so it sounds like it could be a good, I mean, maybe well-timed for the home video market based on what's going on. And, yeah. uh, and I wonder if the, the lead, I, I know that she has a fan base from Ozark. Uh, I wonder if people are kind of finding it through her. I, I hope so. She, she's, Excellent. I, I saw her in a film a few years ago, uh, Electric Children, mm-hmm. uh, and she was great in that. So I kind of wonder if uh, people can't find it through, through her. I uh, I just did a little IMDb click in there real quick because I don't like to do that when it comes to uh, uh, performers and on-screen talent and, and behind-the-screen talent to just blank on somebody's name. Her name is Julia Garner. So I got the Garner right, but her first name is Julia and yeah, I mean, she's obviously the focal point uh, of the film. She's the kind of point of view character for everybody. 
uh, and gives a great performance. And it's just so diametrically opposed uh, to that of of Ruth on Ozark, that whichever character she is more like in real life, <laughs> she nails the other character, um, be it Ozark uh, or this film. And it's also written and directed by a, by a female filmmaker, Kitty Green. And so I always like to point out if we have a, you know, a woman uh, behind the camera, especially when dealing with issues like this. And, uh, and so I'm glad it's doing well. I didn't know how it was performing. It's, it's one of those films that I think if it were a different world right now, it, it would have run through the festival circuit probably through the first half of the year and then perhaps gotten a little bit more of a prestige release toward the end of the year uh, based on her performance. But, uh, you know, we live in a weird non-theatrical time right now. And so I'm sure that they uh, put it out at the best time they thought to put it out. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. What, anything else, Scott, on your radar? Um, One quick one, uh, The Lodge. Have either of you guys seen oh, it? Oh, I want to see it so bad. That, one, that one's on my list. Yeah, yeah. It, well. uh, I saw it at Overlook last year, the Overlook Film Festival that was in um, New Orleans last May. And, uh, and I did a review for, uh, uh, WRPL.com, my, my primary outlet that I, I do reviews for. And in it, I said, you know, this is the kind of movie that you just expect to blow up the festival circuit and then have like this big October release to kind of cash in on the horror movie at Halloween. And it just didn't happen. I mean, it was like that there wasn't the big fall release. Then there was a discussion about giving it a big February launch. And then they trimmed it down to just like maybe three or four theaters in February. And then all the COVID and quarantining and stuff kicked in. And so all of a sudden it winds up on VOD and about five days later it's on Hulu. So now it is currently on Hulu. And uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's just, it's weird. Like, cause I I feel like I follow this one, just follow films you know, fairly closely, but I feel like this one has not come on my radar until like two, three weeks ago. It, it, it's, it, it's weird. Yeah. I, I was because ex- I was expecting to hear just so much more about it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, when we saw it at at Overlook, it had this vibe like it was going to be kind of this this year's, you know, Get Out or Hereditary or something like that. That this was the film that was just going to blow up the festival circuit and then knock everybody on their butts come October. And you're exactly right. I have no idea in the whys and wherefores of behind the scenes kind of decisions like that. But it basically just disappeared. And then all of a sudden, uh, fairly unceremoniously on May the 5th, uh, got dumped onto Hulu. So uh, the good news is everybody who subscribes to Hulu, you got a great film to check out because I thought that it was really good. Uh, It's one of those ones that's just filled with dread. It's not like uh, it doesn't have uh, like lots of gore and and stuff like that. It's not some kind of, you know, slasher creature feature or anything like that. Uh, It's much more of a hereditary uh, Midsommar kind of feel to it. Uh, where it's just this constant sense of dread that bad things are going to happen uh, with some pretty clever twists along the way. That's awesome. So that's on Hulu now. Okay, cool. I I will be um I'll be watching yep, that one yep. sooner, probably than the assistant, just because you know free is free is king sometimes. Um. Well, cool. So, <laughs> and then the last one would be. 
uh, the last recommendation I would have would be, and this is a blind recommendation, but by the time this episode posts, Damien Chazelle's Netflix series will be on. And oh, so wow. the Eddie, which uh, hits on, on May the 8th, uh, is the TV series from the guy who brought us Whiplash and La La Land. And naturally, it is set in a jazz club in Paris and stars Andre Holland from Moonlight, uh, The Nick, uh, High Flying Bird. He's been in a lot of good stuff. So great actor, great director, eight-episode Netflix series. I feel pretty confident that I can recommend it just based on the pedigree, but maybe we'll get a chance in a future episode to discuss if it lives up to its reputation. I cannot wait to hear. Um, for me, I have um, two things I want to bring up. One that I've been saving for sort of this kind of moment um, uh, where it's, um, I don't know, it just feels like the right time to talk about it because I don't have a ton to talk about. Um, and it's still ongoing. But I am obsessed with the television show Killing Eve. Um, it is, I think it has one of the best first seasons uh, around. And whether or not the the following seasons live up to that first season, I don't know that I could really say it does. But I my enjoyment level has never gone down. Um, but right now uh, it is on um, on Sundays on AMC, and it's uh, it stars Sandra Oh and Jodie Comer. Have either of you seen Killing Eve? Um, I haven't. I, yes, I've heard, I've, I, I've heard a lot of good things, but I I don't know. I I don't, I don't give what is what watches like as many TV series as I. I'd like to. Yeah, I, I'm a I'm a cable cutter. I, I cut cable uh, or cord cutter. I cut cable years ago. Um, and this show, I watched the first season. I feel like maybe midway through the season, I caught up with it. Um, and I and I buy it on Amazon. So I just buy the season flat out, and like they just I get the digital episode that way. So I watch very few um, outside of like a like an HBO show. I watch very few TV shows like that. Um, and um, but Killing Eve, week to week, like every Monday, it is like like Scott and I recorded on Monday. And I was like, Katie, I need you to be prepared to watch Killing Eve when I get done recording because we can't wait till Tuesday. It's like my only appointment <laughs> television. Um, and so it's this show that's uh, it's it's sort of got all the stuff you might like in a show. It's a, it's a spy show um, where Sandra Oh plays sort of a in season one. She's sort of a, a mid-level uh, info uh, a hound in the in MI6, and uh, and she starts uh, following the case of this female assassin uh, who's played by uh, Jodie Comer, and um, and they sort of become in this game of cat and mouse. Can they find the assassin in season one? They sort of become obsessed with each other, um, and what starts as sort of a psychological obsession also sort of evolves into. Uh, romantic and sadistic and all sorts of things and the show just sort of continues it's it's like an avalanche of all of those feelings and themes and so in the season one it's this small little thing that gets bigger and bigger in the seasons as it goes on it all gets bigger and crazier and there's more of it but um but never so outrageous that it loses track of what it is and i don't know i really enjoy it it's a very very fun show i think it's one of the best things on television scott are you in hope watching it? what do you guys think about it yeah yeah actually we wound up watching it off of your recommendation we were pretty uh late to the party i think seasons one and two both existed uh at the time that we got hooked up with it and so at that point and they may still be seasons one and two were playing on hulu 
And uh, so we caught up with everything on Hulu and we're ready to roll when season three started a few weeks ago. And so, yeah, we really enjoy it. I think Jodie Comer's performance is just one of the best things on television. And uh, it feels like, I don't know, like if Alias, uh, you know, J.J. Abrams TV show, uh, Alias, you know, dropped acid or something. It's like, (laughs) it's like... It's like that that kind of a show that's just kind of outlandish, you know, spy show with like organizations with names like the 12 and stuff like that. Uh, then just came from a totally off the wall kind of, of bent uh, where you just honestly kind of don't know what's going to happen from week to week because nothing is too outlandish uh, for that show. And it makes it a lot of fun. And if you're a big um watcher of any kind of European television or anything like that, you'll see lots of people that you will know from other shows. And uh, one of the main ones is uh, Constantine, the mm-hmm. fellow who plays him. He was the lead in um, that Scandinavian show, The Bridge, okay. that they tried to remake here in the U.S. Uh, a couple years ago. That show ran like three or four seasons, and he was one of the lead detectives on that show. And so when he popped up, we were like, yeah, you know, so... Uh, if you're if you enjoy some foreign television, uh, it's kind of like foreign television's greatest hits with the cast that they've put together. That's awesome. Yeah, no, it's um. So yeah, this is sort of my. I always find an outlet to just plug Killing Eve. So I've been waiting for this show, like when to bring it up, and this was a good time to do it because um, I actually watched it after we recorded on Monday. Um, and so the other thing I thought would be good sort of to bridge to Chris, um, because one thing I know about Chris that we share in common is a love of Star Wars. Um, <laughs> and so um, and the other thing is that Chris is a filmmaker. And so I thought these put these two together and, and it's a good good way to get ready to pass to, to you, sir. But uh, I watched uh, just this afternoon the the first episode of, of uh, it seems to be a season um, called uh, I think it's called Disney Gallery colon The Mandalorian. And it is a show that is going to sort of document the different facets of making the tele the first season of Disney Plus's The Mandalorian. Um, and the first episode is titled The Directors. Um, and it has um, that show has like an all-star cast and and, and and to different degrees, but stars either in the indie world or very populous, just sort of or in animation. They're just stars all over the place. I- a shocking number of directors are are like acting in it, which which is interesting to me. It's like a show that's like they're all just in love with directors. It's really amazing the like, whole the, from the process level on up. Um, but the uh, the roundtable has all of the directors who um, who directed an episode or maybe multiple episodes in the series in the first season sitting around, sort of talking about how they came to the show and what it was like to. Uh, to to work in that environment because the way they describe it is very strange um, for the you know in television uh, most seasons have multiple directors directing different episodes and that's normal um, but uh, they don't normally work together and what you hear about are stories where like one direct Deborah Chow might be directing an action scene over on this part of the stage and then potentially like Rick Fum- Fumiyawa is on the other side of the stage directing like a talking scene for his episode. But they can run over and talk to each other about sort of the arc of the season and what they're working on visually to make sure everything sort of syncs up as this bigger uh, picture. 
And it's a really interesting collaborative way to make a television show, but it's also like 30 minutes where you get to hang out with these really interesting people. Taika Waititi's at the table, John Favreau, who's sort of the main showrunner, he's there, and they're all just sort of, Bryce Dallas Howard has this really cool perspective based based on her growing up around people like Lucas, and then now she's doing this, but they're just talking about making this very unique show under very unique circumstances. And it's really entertaining just because it's they they, they put together clips that are the the directors doing their jobs and it's not always like they're succeeding like they're like they're struggling through things. They're trying to figure out how to explain to like the stunt man here's what you're looking at on the other side of this big gorge that you can't even imagine what you're going to be looking at because you're going to be looking at dirt. And, but I promise there'll be this and he's trying to like work out how to explain to the actor what to do. Um, and so it's, it's not, it is sort of rah-rah in that they have obviously accomplished a great show that was very successful, but the way they talk about it, it's much more like, man, like, yeah, we had to do this and we had to do that. And isn't this kind of amazing? And it's it's really a cool look at things. I'm looking forward to future episodes where they get into some of the technology because they have this 360 degree soundstage with like video all around wherever you look that moves with the camera movements and the score was amazing. So I want to hear about the music. Um, but this first episode of uh, Disney Gallery, The Mandalorian was just about directors. and I really, really recommend it. Um, if you watch The Mandalorian or if you just want to watch a half hour about how a bunch of folks came together to make a show together in a, in a, in a very unique way. Um, and I don't know. It's really good. Chris, have you had a chance to see this yet? It's pretty new. Um, I, I haven't seen it. Uh, the last arc of The Clone Wars has taken my Star Wars uh, <laughs> bandwidth right now. Yeah, um, absolutely. But, but yeah, I mean... I, Star Wars at its best for me is always very director driven. Um, so yeah, and I, I really like what Mandal um, what Mandalorian's doing. Very cool. So so what have you been watching, sir? You're watching a few movies a day. What what's what's been some highlights lately? What's what's been up in your pop culture right. world? Uh, let me see here. Uh, well, I'll I'll highlight some Netflix. Films I've been watching. Uh, have you either of y'all seen uh, Horse Girl? Aubrey? I haven't. Have Scott? Have you seen Horse? Girl? No, I haven't seen it, but okay, I heard yeah, uh, I heard great things about it. Out of uh, was it what, what festival was it getting such raves out of earlier this year? I think it was Sundance. It, yeah, it may have been so, but I haven't seen it yet. No, I, I I highly recommend that one. That one's that one's on Netflix. I mean, that that one's one. It's a good uh, you, first 10, 20 minutes. You think it's going to be one thing, and then it switches gears, and then it shifts gears again. And it just, as you watch it, it kind of uh, pivots, and it's it's very interesting. She's fantastic in it. Um, let's see here. Trying trying to highlight the Netflix stuff that view, viewers can watch at home. I watched the platform. Have either of y'all watched that? Yeah, I saw that at Fantastic Fest last year. That was one of my favorite films I saw there. I it, it gave me some Snowpiercer vibes. I I enjoyed mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't it's quite the film it, that Snowpiercer is, but it's it's not bad. It's yeah, just I mean the whole premise. Matter of fact, Spencer, I think if I'm not mistaken, I recommended this in a previous episode of our podcast, the one where the people are uh, in this kind of prison of sorts on different levels. 
And you then did. the little food dumb waiter comes up and down feeding them. And so the people on the upper levels are, you know, eating all the food from the people on the lower levels. And it's, it's just got a lot of great kind of class commentary uh, to go with its bizarre, you know, kind of sci-fi it's, premise. It's a, it's a visceral watch. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Really, uh, uh, kind of gross. Yeah, <laughs> not, not a lot left to the imagination in that one. Um, but yeah, I mean, that one's, uh, I generally liked it pretty well. I mean, I, I do have a few little things to say, but, but nothing major. Uh, yeah, it's pretty good. Have you either one of y'all seen, and I don't know how big a splash this made, but, uh, Tiger Hunter with, uh, I watched it just because I'm a huge community Danny uh, Beauty fan. Um, he, he's in like a, a comedy on Netflix that, uh, hmm. that was, that I really enjoy. It's a smaller comedy, just about uh, him starting a, you know, business and uh, coming from India. And yeah, that was uh, not a That's game changer, it. but it's very charming. It's and funny, I, I, Scott and I just a few weeks ago talked about community, um, and and so I feel like we did. I talked about community recently with somebody, but I know Scott that you've watched Community in the past. Yes. Um, so, so we're both Pooty fans. Is it? Is it? Um, it sounds more grounded, and it sounds it sounds very interesting. I've, so, Tiger Hunter is what it's called. Yes, um, yeah, it's just a uh, just a very charming little movie. So, <laughs> and he's fantastic. He's a treasure. So, well, very cool, very cool. So, so I think that uh, that's a good place for us to sort of start switching to your film, sir. So, um, to kind of let the the listeners know so we're going to switch to our main section now we're going to talk about down and yonder i've provided links everywhere and we've talked about it in advance so you know how you can get it but it's on youtube um it's on supermassive pop i've got it linked on youtube if you're facebook friends with me it's on my facebook wall it's you can get it if you want to watch it and not be spoiled but this is going to be you know we're going to talk about things anything that happens in the in the film at all i don't i, I don't feel necessarily that this is like a you know they were dead at the end kind of spoiler film but uh, i still think there is a, a there's always a pleasure in, in sort of experiencing it without people uh guiding that uh and, and your expectations of what's about to happen um and so i would say please watch it if you have not um before we uh begin our conversation uh with chris about his film down in yonder so chris um the uh, so I, I think I'm not really sure how we're going to do this. So we're just going to do sort of a conversation. It may just be a and a between Scott and right. I to you. And we're just sort of we're kind of I like flying by the seat of my pants, I guess. Um, so I've seen down in yonder. This was my um, my third, I think, letterboxed watch my fourth watch in total, because there was one period I watched like chunks of it over the course of a week when I got it uh, on Blu-ray um, and so I didn't really count it because I didn't like sit down and absorb it but um, so it's about my fourth time all the way through um, and Scott and I have been talking a lot about rewatches this year because in quarantine I've started rewatching a lot of stuff just watched like the matrix for the first time in like a, eight years a couple of days ago and just things like that and so um I realized last night as I was watching uh, with my wife, Katie, that this was the first time um, I'd watched in a couple of years. Um, and so it, so it was nice to kind of get back into the rhythms of the film. Um, 
and and so I was first curious, um, and, and this is just to kind of give us context for the conversation. Yeah. You made the movie. You've probably seen it so, so many times. Did you happen to go back to it before this conversation, or is it so in your head that you're just good? It's it's weird. You, you never really leave it. Um, I mean, I still, you know, pull clips from it, and, you know, I go through it, and before you know, put it up on YouTube. So, I mean, I haven't sat down and watched it, but I, um, I don't know. It's just, uh, it's like knowing my own phone number. I, um, I, I'm, uh, it's, it's ingrained. <laughs> so now that, that makes sense and, to me. And also just, uh, except for like pulling clips or, in, you know, housekeeping stuff. I, I generally have a hard time watching things we've made. Um, it's just, uh, it's weird. I, I after we, you know, we picture lock and we lock the film. I just kind of, I kind of step away from it, and I'm, I'm like, you know what? It's not ours anymore. It's the world's, and I just kind of, I just kind of walk away from it. So, um, yeah, I haven't sat down and watched it in, in a couple years. So. so- what so when we met we met at the chattanooga film festival i guess the i think we met at the first chattanooga film festival six years ago it's blowing my mind it's so crazy um and <laughs> i was just telling my uh, my wife about how we met because it was very or how we knew to even like try to meet you it's just this whole thing of like i think we met your sister first and then she introduced us or told us to meet you it's, just, it's all kind of blurry because it is so long ago and i've had a kid so everything's blurry mm-hmm. um are but um, morning mimosa mixer or, or was it yes. the opening ceremony? Like, I don't know. It, it just was, kind of becomes easy. I know it's definitely mimosas were involved. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, but you know, you were, you had a short film there. And so you, um, you were making shorts and Scott has a background in, and he's set on um, sort of the, 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 gosh, I'm losing all my words. He worked in it with the short film festival and has worked and does work with one that's coming up. So he actually is part of the, if you're going to get in, he's watching your films and seeing if it should be in the film festival. Um, and so I know at some point, Scott and I, I know I've shown stuff to Scott, but, um, but what made you take the leap from short to feature? That's I, Shorts are hard enough. Uh, talking to you and made a couple little things on my own, but but talking to you over the years, shorts are very hard to do anyway. What 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 pushed you to down and down? I think I was talking to Jeff about this. Jeff's uh, he's Sugar Baby. He's the and one of the producers on it. But I was just um, we've always been very naive about what things are going to be. Um, we're like, yeah, we did this and we did a couple of these, and one day Jeff was just like you know what let's go for it let's just make one let's let's make a feature um and so i I think naivete i I think that might be the be the reason we did it um because i I don't know when you start something you always be like okay it won't be that bad it's gonna it's gonna be uh uh uh, it's very doable and then you're about two years in you're like okay what have i done (laughs) um so so yeah and then uh but then again you just you just go forward and you know kind of see what happens so well i um i i think that you know for myself i've i've obviously enjoyed the film and um but i i'm cu- so i know that you're working on a follow up and we'll get to that in a little bit but you mentioned 2 years how long did from i don't know writing to 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 being 
putting it in the world, how long did it take to, to make Down and Yonder? What was the process like? Um, well, I wrote the first draft. I was, I was kind of homesick. I was had an internship in L.A., and I was just kind of homesick, and I just wanted to write about home. So uh, I just started writing the first draft in, like, 08, and then 09 uh, kind of got done. Then I just kind of put it in the drawer and just kind of forgot about it. Um, and, you know, 2013, we start making – like me and Jeff and Ben were starting to make stuff and yeah, I just kind of was searching for ideas for what we could reasonably do with it just being us and not having many resources. And, um, yeah, we, then I kind of dusted off the script, you know, polished it up and, and that was around 2013, 2014 and then, uh, 2015. So I think when I first sat down and started writing, it was like 08 and then we started shooting in 2015 so seven years but like that's you know three years of it just like kind of sitting in the drawer collecting dust so and scott you feel free to jump in i've had questions i've wanted to ask him forever so feel free at any point if you have anything you'd like to ask or anything like that scott yeah no uh one of the things that i was going to ask you is is you know obviously the the movie is decidedly southern and uh, as somebody who grew up in Alabama, and since I left Alabama when I was 18, the only two other places I've lived were on Georgia. Uh, you know, I've lived in the South 47 years of my life. I happen to be born outside of Seattle, but uh, all of my formative years were in the South. And so I was wondering, your, your central cast, uh, Chris Schultz, uh, who plays Wally, Jeff James, who is Sugar Baby, and Emily Landum, who is... Uh, 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 Mara, how many of them are, are they Southerners? Uh, how did you find them? Uh, nobody, nobody in this film screamed like they were trying to play Southern and, and that's always so noticeable to me. And so if they're not Southern, uh, it, you know, they did a good job of, of making it seem like they are. Um, I'd say three fourths of the cast is, True Southern. Uh, Chris Schultz, who, who plays Wally, um, he's originally from uh, the Midwest. Um, uh, I I want to say Illinois. I'm not quite sure, but he, I mean, he's he's Midwest. Um, uh, Emily um, and Jackson Pyle, who plays the sheriff, Sugar Baby's uncle, they're from Nashville. Okay. Um, Jeff is from my hometown. He's 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 ready to go. Um, and, um, and uh, Andrew Carter Kinsella, he's uh, he's Canadian. So okay, he's when you talk to him, he's he's noticeably has a Canadian accent. But I, um, thankfully, I think he has a a pretty good Southern accent. So um, yeah, so I mean, I say three fourths are are true. Uh, southerners uh I, i'd say it kind of helps we don't it's it's casually southern we don't lean into it sure super 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 hard so the idea was that these are just people you can meet on the street and um yeah no i think you know for me it's it's just one of those jarring things having grown up in the south that when you hear somebody just butchering a southern accent you know maybe people from 
throughout other parts of the country can watch it with no problem. But I'm like immediately out of the narrative. I'm just like, oh my God, that is so horrible. Nobody talks like that, really. <laughs> and, yeah, and, and so, and you don't have any of those moments in your film. And so I, I found that interesting. And so that was why I was asking, you know, uh, you hear these people, you know, using an accent, like, I don't know, Blanche Devereaux from the Golden Girls. And I'm like, you do realize she talk like that as a caricature of the South, not because people around here really talk like that. It, uh, and <laughs> and so it, I just thought that it, it seemed very real to me. It's funny, like a, a lot of the like casually Southern accents, I, I, I think just because I'm just around all, all the day, unless it's like really pronounced, I, I can't hear it. Um, like I'll I'll go to like visit a friend in like California or something, and they'll be like, "Your accent, it's out of this world." It's so <laughs> and I'm I'm like, "What me?" <laughs> I'm like, like, what? This is this is insane. What? Um, but um, it's, it's yeah. It's pe- people really will ask thing. me. People will ask me. You know, well, give me an example of a good Southern accent. And I'll say Jodie Foster in Silence of the Lambs, and it pretty much ends there. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, it's like it's casually Southern. It's not uh, quite quite as pronounced as a lot of movies. Though there are people who have Southern accents that are that pronounced. <laughs> so it's, right, good. It's one of the things about down in yonder for me that i identified so we're i think if not exactly the same age we're pretty close i can't remember what year were you born chris do you mind if i, I was ask? born in 87 yeah yeah so we're, we're exactly the same age so um so i point, graduated from high school in 87 so there we go <laughs> wide range of perspectives here um but but so uh, but one of the things that struck me is that it, while i don't ever feel like the film leans into you know i guess over southerning um is that i grew up in columbus georgia that's where scott lives now and and i i did you know middle school in south carolina but high school in um in columbus which is that means i grew up that's where i grew up right and so it just it feels more southern to me because of how real of a southern experience it is um so not that it uh pushes any sort of like uh dukes of hazard kind of southernism it's 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 just that i grew up in the south and i've hated things that take place in the south and media for so long um i feel like the closest i ever get to things that i enjoy are for people who are mostly from texas like richard linkletter or yeah. uh, david Gordon green things like that and i guess he's north carolina but it's never like it just never feels like this is my experience and so for me i've sort of i, I know when i speak about it to others i very much talk about it as a a a film a southern film done right because it's not about being southern at all and i and i sort of i guess potentially a double-edged sort of a statement but um but i mean it with the highest regard because i'm like i'm listening to these guys talk and i'm and then how they're hanging out in their town and i'm like this is it's it is just this is life in the south at this age that's what it is and it just feels right and i never ever felt made fun of watching your film and i really like that about it something i've always appreciated about your film and and it's it's always like a weird i feel this way about pretty much all films it's a weird balancing act between finding what's universal and finding what's like i mean you you want to have the specifics like you want to show an audience like a world 
so you do want to show them some specifics of the world um, that these characters are in. So it's always like that balance. Like what, what is stuff that's very Southern that these characters deal with every day? And how do I make that universal? Like what's, what can people uh, look at that story and, and find, find things to relate to? So. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so Jeff, you mentioned who plays Sugar Baby is also a producer um, on the film. And I know you guys have been, you know, worked together for a long time. And what is it like? I mean, what is it like to have your actor also be your producer and like and you're the director and you guys are friends? How does how does that dynamic work uh, on set for you as a director? Um, well, I, I would say Jeff and I, we try to because he's wearing those two different hats. Uh, we try to work through the script as much as we can, like beforehand. Uh, and thankfully, Je- Jeff has a lot of like good instincts just for when something's working and when something's not working. But no, I mean, that's kind of his superpowers. When when he's in a scene, he, he's an actor. He focuses on that. And then as soon as we call cut and he'll switch hats and then he's producer and then he's, you know, run around and... Um, uh, you know, trying to get the film made. So, yeah, I'd say it's it's very much uh, switch, switch, switch. his ability to switch gears is probably one is one of his greatest strengths. Do uh, do both his actor's hat and producer's hat say phenomenal? <laughs> <laughs> they do. Okay. See, it's the same. That's, it's that's, the same hat. <laughs> that's, that's that's what I figured. I was just checking. <laughs> I love that. Where'd the hat come from? A, a thrift store. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I, I tell because Je- the hat is still at Jeff's house, and I, I tell him just in case we ever revisit these characters, don't you lose that hat. <laughs> <laughs> that hat is one of one. I imagine. Um, uh, so I'm like, please, please, or life is in your hands, Jeff. Because <laughs> I mean. It's iconically sugar babe. We can't lose the hat. <laughs> so, I, and the, go ahead, Scott. I was going to say, I had one question for you. You know, sometimes when I watch a film and, and something rings really true, I, I have this feeling. I always want to wonder, you know, I wonder if that's something that really happened in that person's life. And, and so one of the narrative beats that it kind the, the movie kind of centers around is the time capsule idea. And so I was wondering, did you and a group of friends ever actually do that? Or is this just something that you came up with for these characters and for the screenplay? Well, when I was in second grade, I think I wrote a letter to myself, uh, not to be, I think, uh, like, and I, and I know on the envelope, it just says don't open until 2015. <laughs> and in my mind, I, I was sitting there. I, I was in second grade. I'm like, oh my god, I'll be tw- 27. I'll be like, that's, I'll be that's an adult. <laughs> like, that seems ancient. And then you now I'm like, oh my god, 27 is not that. And then, so I, I I think I finally opened that letter, and it's like very anticlimactic. It's just like, hey, I watched Ninja Turtles. I, I love Power Rangers. And you know, you, you think it's you're about to be uh, you know unloaded with the wisdom of a child. Um, 
but um no it's just me talking about mundane stuff but just the idea of that just has always like kind of you know kind of stuck with me so um and like a lot of things with with the movie is it's kind of a weird um kind of mashup of things that have happened things i've heard about you know things i imagine just kind of a weird you know uh myriad of stuff cool. you mentioned you mentioned going to la was la your chicago or you are you wally um you don't have to answer no, that if you don't want to i'm just I, curious i i don't think so okay. um I, I think chicago fits wally a little bit better than la fit me so okay fair <laughs> enough fair enough yeah i i watched it this time the reason i asked i watched it this time and, and it had been a couple of years and i the first time i watched it i for sure identified with wally um and said like that's that's the guy i'm connecting with uh, in a much stronger way and i could probably tell you who sugar baby was in my life like or the, a couple of them in all honesty because you know it's we all have a couple of them in, in our lives, if either one of these guys. And um, in the film, most of the the other guys have gone away, so we're just watching these two. But I'm thinking, I'm Wally, and I know who I know who my left turn is, and I know who you know J Dog is. I know who these folks are in my life. And now I watched it last night, and um, we recently were we were potentially going to move from Chattanooga, and we decided not to. And a lot of that had to do with the people that are in Chattanooga, um, and. Um, and I realized as I'm like, we're watching it and I'm like, I, I feel much more connected to Sugar Baby now, years later. Um, and so um, I, I love that about a film, something again, Scott, and I've been talking about rewatches a lot and I love growing with the film. And it's very fun to watch Down and Yonder with a little bit of a gap because I can go. The movie is then for me more powerful because I watch that it grows with me. And as I grow, it does change. It doesn't stay behind as this thing I liked then because I connected with Wally. It's now I'm looking at it from a different angle. Um, and so I think that that's a, it's just a really nice thing about the film that, that I that I liked and that I still like and I like more. Um, watching it now, honestly, much more from Sugar Baby's point of view. And also, it's a little bit... I'm. There was a novelty to having met Jeff a few times and seeing him on screen and I hadn't yeah. met Chris. And so and so now I'm like, I'm used to that idea. So I'm like, man, Jeff's bringing it. Jeff's really great in the it, film. It's really, I don't know, because he, he's very understated and very casual as an actor. And it's very easy to kind of, I feel like a lot of people just kind of like look over what he's doing. But um, you meet Jeff in real life and you see like Sugar Baby and then you see him like in, in our upcoming movie, he's in it and he's a complete 180 from Sugar Baby. So um, you kind of realize just like, wow, these are very distinct performances. And I, I mean, Jeff's nothing like Sugar Baby in real life. Uh, he, he's not that Southern. He doesn't have a mustache. <laughs> so. um, I had a technical question. Yeah. Um, what'd you shoot the film on or shoot the movie on? Like what, what cameras did you use? What kind of equipment did you use? It, we used uh, a Canon C100, which is a pretty common prosumer uh, camera. And then we rented some, uh, some Zeiss prime lenses. So okay. um, kind of a, kind of a usual camera, but a little bit upgraded in glass. So. And the glass makes all the difference. 
Yeah, like I mean, I'm, and I mean, I love those size lenses. We ended up using it again for for, for Edge of Town. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's not an expensive camera package. Um, but um, and yeah. we were you guys were just around that time too when a lot of things were being shot on SLRs, and so I was curious. Just my, you know, just in our house, we talk a lot about that stuff. And so my first thought this time, which again, I didn't think about last time was what you guys shoot it on. Um, so that's yeah, cool. Because I think back and I was like, wow, DSLRs, I mean, in my role, didn't mm-hmm. really, didn't really take off into like into 2010, 2011. Mm-hmm. And just thinking in a four year gap, we're shooting a feature with it. So the DSLR explosion just really happened quickly i mean, it ended up being kind of a defining thing for me from the for the for the decade is um, the new is the new film shot on dslr yeah it's um we we're back to the c100 we okay. um we're doing a zeiss class we, we're doing uh uh we added an attachment like this ninja blade uh kind of a, an attachment that uh it, it kind of gives us more options for cover and post, but um, yeah, it's it's the same rig, so but, uh, a little bit more different lighting, more more stuff we're doing with the lighting, but it, it's generally the same same package. Very cool. One of my favorite shots of the film. I'm just curious how what what the thoughts were behind it is sort of the the physical confrontation between Wally and Sugar Baby. Um, that's a it's a the 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 film is very intentional in the way it's staged and the way the shots are set up. This is much. There's a lot more movement in this with the camera and the characters as well. Um, what what were your thoughts going into shooting this scene where they're gonna finally sort of physically have it out for a second before their friendship sort of falls I, apart? I just going into it, we wanted it to be. I'm not. I won't necessarily call it a realistic fight, but I just wanted to look. How, just as pathetic as like a lot of fights really look, I, I wanted to be like, okay, these are two guys who have have never fought before, um, who aren't, you know, I mean, these aren't guys who are like that you usually see in a fight in a movie, uh, and I wanted it over really quickly, like because in real life, someone will shove someone, they'll shove back, and then they'll then they'll disperse and try to cool off. So. I really wanted it quick and I wanted and we did in one take, um, which which is kind of a testament to the the crew because we were able to, uh, you know, come out with Wally and then push in. And we had like, even though it's one character we're following, there's like seven people like 10 steps behind them. (laughs) So, I mean, it's kind of a weird choreography you got to do with him and then every crew member like there's boom poles and mirrors we had to shoot at, you know we had to scrub out the image and um but yeah we just we just want to kind of strip it down and just make it look as you know as pathetic as two guys fighting in that situation really would be <laughs> but yeah, yeah it's, it's, one, it's one of my favorite moments i, I think jeff and Chris are both both excellent there. His uh, yeah. Jeff Jeff's anger and when he gets back in the car is like that's it's so good. It's a good the whole thing is is such a good moment. Yeah, um, I, there, there's no release there. It, it, it just 
it's still there with them even after the fight's over so so my question uh and the next question that that i have scott do you have any i'm sorry i keep i keep just jumping in scott do you have anything no man you're good um so one of the people i sort of now mentally associating you with in my head just in my head canon is is jim cummings because he's uh he made this film thunder road um that that i really enjoyed and scott and i are huge springsteen fans and i feel like we've talked about this chris are you a big springsteen fan oh yeah oh yeah yeah yeah. so (laughs) so the, the I had so he made this film and he's self-distributed. He's done a lot of you know championing of the ideas of self-distribution, and you guys have done a, a very similar road of your own. Um, and so I put you guys together in my head, and I've even like tried to like tweet a few times, like watch their movie, like let's get y'all talking. Um, but um, but I really, if you have ownership of this and and you guys i know are selling it on like an online store and um and and you're doing that is there is there a plan to continue that and keep that ownership or what 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 are your plans or what are your thoughts on self-distribution i know that's also complicated in the way amazon lets stuff get on their rental platforms is you know confusing and difficult because i even know of bigger uh films with with large budgets that still have trouble getting on rental platforms what what are your thoughts on sort of the distribution model and where you're at with it and what you want to see it be or what anything in general uh well at that point we're at this point we're we're still trying to figure that out it's it's kind of a a weird maze right now because everything's changing um it's kind of a kind of a moving target um but uh, I mean, I was talking to Jeff and Jamie the other day, and I was just like, I, I want to keep. If, if someone you know scoops it up and wants to do something with it, that, that's fine. I just want to keep Dandy as the Dandy we know. Uh, yeah. You, you hear so much about films being bought, and then titles get changed and re-edited and reshuffled and uh, edges sanded down. I just kind of want to keep Dandy identifiably Dandy. Um, I, um, well, more people watching a film is, is never a bad thing. And then, uh, but I, I do want to keep it, keep it itself. Um, but right, right now, um, the goal is always just to get it out in front of people, especially since this is our first film. I think the, the biggest victory we can have is getting it out in front of as many people as possible. Um, I, I, I said this when I first we were first distributing. I was just like every pair of eyeballs we get in front of it is a win. Um, so yeah, we're just trying to get as many people to see it as possible. So it's not a, a hard and fast business model. It's more just, you know, tr- trying to get a name out there, trying to get the film out there. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, the, the, the YouTube release was that, um, planned in advance of, of COVID and all of this. The timing was, right around the same time as the the quarantine starting which to me i was like i don't know if they planned this but that's like perfect timing um because people are at home what are you going to do everyone's watching and streaming um was that intentional or was just a fortuitous turn of time um i i there was no plans to do it previously but um it was just suggested to us by i think one of our relatives they were like you know i i, I think everyone's trapped at home everyone's quarantining uh yeah give them something to watch yeah so it was just uh yeah just throwing it up on youtube which which is not a thing you can really do if 
someone had scooped in and picked it up, but because you, you know, you own it, yeah, uh, you have the freedom to do that. Um, but yeah, I, I think it it got some uh, new viewers to it and uh, got some more people watching it. And you know, and we get and we get people to stay home for an hour and a half. That's a double win, especially <laughs> during this time. So. So what's uh, where are you guys at with Edge of Town, the follow-up? I know you have a runtime. I saw that posted somewhere on social media. Uh, right now, I'm I'm calling it the uh, we're kind of calling it the speed now or forever hold your peace phase, uh, <laughs> where I'm showing it to uh, you know just uh, a couple some crew members and the actors and just uh, we're about a week away from just you know locking it down, being like this is the film. So right now I'm just kind of going through it and just kind of second guess myself. I'm like, yeah, give it a couple of frames this way, give it a couple of frames that way. Um, and probably about a week from now, when everyone's generally, you know, we've looked at it from every angle, and then we'll we'll lock it. Uh, we'll we'll um, there's a, there's a little bit of music still to come in, and I may you know sh- shuffle things around a little bit just you know to make it sync up with the music a little bit um but after that it's just color and sound and our we're estimating the end of july it'd be it'd be done everyone can you can just sit down and watch it so no i'm i'm feeling good about it i mean it's been a dandy was a a challenge in the edit just because it was a very ambitious movie with a lot of exteriors uh during the summer and this is uh it's been relatively smooth so I, I feel I feel good about it. There's there's no parts of it that I'm I'm cringing my way through. I might actually watch this with an audience without <laughs> without without wanting to like hide, which is which is which is good. So I, I'm 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 feeling pretty confident about it. So so you you did a big festival run with uh, with Dandy, and I know it was pretty successful. I remember seeing all the the different little awards and stuff and cool things you guys were getting along the way, and it was a long run. Are you are you guys planning to go that route again and start? I guess once we know what the state of festivals are for another next year, I guess um, are you going to try to go that route, or are you doing something different, or do you even know yet? You may not know. The I. Because, I mean, in a perfect world, when we were shooting this last summer, I, I always think it's going to be six months, but it's always a year of post. Um, I wanted it done by Christmas so I can start submitting January and just keep this process going. Um, so it's looking like a finish in 2020, and then hopefully festivals are back up and running. We can start having screenings in 2021. Uh my my goal, my hope is to have kind of a, a friends and family screening uh, around this Christmas. Um, if everyone's comfortable, you know, seeing in a room of a hundred people by Christmas, um, uh, having it then and us uh, and and going that route, and then yeah, just the festival process is always about two years, which is which seems like an absurd amount of time, but. Uh, but yeah, uh, January 2021 and 2022, we'll just be trying to get more eyeballs in front of it. So That's very cool. Very cool. Scott, do you have anything else? Yeah, no, I think that you uh, covered it. That was actually going to be my question is if there was a, 
uh, if there is a festival circuit in 2021, if you guys would try to head there with the, uh, the new film. So that's, uh, exciting that you think that, uh, it might be ready in time. Yeah. I mean, that's the plan. I mean, hopefully, you know, the festivals are back up and running and we can all, you know, congregate safely again. Cause, uh, yeah, just these things are, are meant to be seen with people. So what was so, the last movie you saw in a theater? Uh, what, let's see here. What was it? Might've been, God, I'm trying. I just saw this floating around Twitter. Today. <laughs> I, <saw this>. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm trying to remember what a movie theater is. It's been so long. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I have like flashes of what it smelled like. It's not like a great smell or anything, but like, I just, I just can smell a movie theater. I'm like, man, I miss that stale popcorn smell. <laughs> I think mine was birds of prey. That mine too. That was mine. I saw I it. My... Def- oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. I th- I think mine was nineteen seventeen. At, at the end of, at the end of January. There you go. Beautiful I mean, film. I mean, as as far as last movies, uh, for a while ago, that, that's not a terrible one. <laughs> you can't go wrong with Roger Jenkins, that's for sure. Right. Who has a podcast out, by the way? Scott texted me this. He does. Our competition is Deacons. We're going to lose every time. <laughs> yeah, this podcast is called Team Deacons. So, kind of like that. Well, cool. Well, Jeff. Uh, Jeff. I saw Jeff. I'm so sorry. Um, Chris. Um, what? So, so, one thing I, I've been constantly inspired by with you is um, you just you you keep going and you have this group of folks around you that y'all seem y'all seem like the guys in the movie um that you're close you have this history there's this sort of uh, i call it the friend family uh vibe and and in your film you talk about home is sort of your definition of home in the film is sort of what i describe as the friend family and um and I'm just curious, you know, to people listening who are right now probably in quarantine, I can picture like 16 year olds at home trying to figure out what to do next and what they're going to do. And what what sort of advice do you have for those for the Wallies and sugar babies who want to make movies Um, and and you're you're accomplishing something that is so difficult to do um and and you're doing it at a feature length which is just a million times more difficult um any advice in sage wisdom or just anything uh that you have for folks out there thinking about making making movies um well i i guess advice that i would give myself if i was that age um is that no no Everything that's going to happen in this, it's, it's such a weird line of work to try to pursue, um, is everything that's going to happen is going to happen because you put yourself out there and because you try to make something happen. Um, there's a lot of people who just kind of, you know, just kind of wait for, you know, uh, a green light or someone to come in and buy the script, uh, just they just spend like you know so much time waiting and um yeah just find find your friends who are like-minded who have the same interests and uh go make some terrible stuff 
and just keep making stuff. And then eventually it's going to be less and less terrible. And then eventually it'll be good. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, just don't, don't wait for someone to come in and, uh, make your movies just go make your movies and and um you know i i I feel like there's there's plenty of movies about out out there about experience it's important to tell you know you don't need a million dollars just to tell a story about who you are and where you're from like you can make something pretty powerful and very personal uh on not a lot of not a lot of money so um yeah just you know uh, look around you and and make a movie about that i love it i love it thank you very much for being on the show this week chris i really yeah. do appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about the film no i'm just uh, yeah always good to talk to y'all so. yeah Definitely. yeah it was, it was nice to meet you and speak with you yeah <laughs> and i'm <laughs> well, positive well, yeah. i'm I, I'm positive that we have to have crossed paths because I was at the first Chattanooga Film Festival and of the years it has run, I have only missed one. So I've been there, whatever that is, five out of six years that they've done it. Uh, so I have no doubt that we have uh, have crossed paths, but just didn't know it. Well, we probably did that like ironic prequel thing where we like bumped into each other, like, we'll never see that person again. Can't <laughs> <laughs> This is this is the the first sequel. I can't wait for the third. The third's always exciting, oh, so yeah. I can't oh, wait for God. next time. So that means when you do Edge of Town, when it's out there, you got to come back, and we're going to talk about it too. Yeah, yeah I mean, absolutely. hopefully, be uh, sooner than later, because uh, yeah, we'll, we'll rent out the big D, and we'll all just sit like six seats separate from each other, or whatever. The <laughs> if it's twelve, that's a big room. We can get a hundred people in there at like twelve seats apart. We can make well, that happen. We can rent out a, a drive-in movie theater. Uh, oh my god <laughs> yes we can all we can all come in individually uh and individually park and watch a car watch a watch a movie i like that that's very cool that well thank great. you very much um i'm gonna put links of course as i mentioned several times all over the place um for for the film and for syndicate's youtube page where you have your other short films is there anywhere else you'd like to point people to find your your stuff uh we have the vimeo which is pretty much the same as youtube um and then our website, uh, our Instagram, we ramble on Twitter a little bit. So the usual places we're there. Cool. I'll put, I'll put all those links up and make sure they're in the show notes, uh, which for listeners are also in your iPhone app. Uh, you'll have links right there in an iPhone app, so you don't have to go to the website to get those um, if you're listening through Apple Podcast. Um, well, thank you very much, Chris. What I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to stop recording, and we'll say our goodbyes, and then Scott will do our wrap-up where he kicks us into whatever his pick is for next uh, next episode. Right. So, uh, so thanks so much, and hold on just a second, then I'll disconnect us. Thanks so much for listening to our talk with Chris about Down and Yonder. Again, that's on YouTube. Go check it out. Um, we had an original outro that was recorded months ago, but we picked a movie, and that movie's not going to be what we're talking about uh, on the coming uh, season two premiere. This is our wrap-up of what I would call our first season. Um, we took a couple months break, as I mentioned in the opening of this um, this podcast. So um, 
I do want to point you in the direction of Good Manners, which is on a movie. We're going to be talking about that soon um, on our premiere uh, when we come back. Uh, it'll still be in this feed. You don't need to do anything special. Um, but I just wanted to, to let you know that we did uh, change things up and give you a little bit of a different um, outro. Um, so anyway, thanks again for listening. Um, check out Down and Yonder. I've been seeing Edge of Town uh, posters and <clears throat> teases um, uh, come up on the Syndicate uh, Twitter. So hopefully uh, maybe we get a trailer for that soon. Um, but but yeah, it's great people. Uh, it's uh, Down and Yonder, just a wonderful film. Uh, uh, check it out. Let us know what you thought. Uh, thanks for listening and we'll talk to you very soon. Bye.